0: From WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Kayla McCleskey. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you news stories from southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, a stroll through the pasture teaches farmers new ways to get results and earn more profits from their land.
1: Shots are firing in people's brains about like how could they tweak things so that potentially they could make this more of a, a, their farm, more of an enterprise and less of maybe a passion project.
0: And we talked to the theater group putting on a live reading of the line in winter.
2: I believe in the audience. I believe that uh, they will suspend their belief and get involved with uh, and, and believe anything that we put on stage.
0: These stories and more right here on the outlet. Forging, pasture management, and sustainable agriculture practices were just a few of the topics farmers in southeast Ohio discussed at Rural Action's Farm Walk and Talk. Outlet reporter Morgan Anderson has more.
3: A walk through the pasture is more than just a stroll through the grass. It's a chance for farmers to learn from each other, says Molly Sowash with Rural Action.
1: I hope that, uh, you know, the brains, shots are firing in people's brains about, like, how could they tweak things so that potentially they could make this more of a, their farm more of an enterprise and less of maybe a passion project.
3: Each walk and talk is guided by an expert, like Bob Hendershot.
4: My granddad, when I was a little boy, fertilized the pasture fields every year and limed them every year.
3: Who's worked in the area of resource conservation for the U.S. Department of Agriculture for decades. Conversations range from how they cut grass to what crops are being grown and when they rotate their pastures all to nourish what Hendershot says is the farmer's most precious resource.
2: It all goes back to
4: conserving the soil. That's our basic resource. Without the soil you can't grow the plants.
2: So we, we talk about managing the soil and improving it.
3: Hendershot says these pasture walks are his favorite way of teaching.
4: I enjoy getting out and talking with producers, especially the younger generation that's interested in grazing management and utilizing our, our landscapes for forages.
3: Walking, talking, and learning from one generation to the next, creating a more sustainable future for agriculture in Southeast Ohio. Reporting for the outlet, I'm Morgan Anderson in Stockport.
0: Republicans in the Ohio legislature clumped dozens of rules and provisions from several different bills into the state Senate bill. Outlet reporter Connor Woodruff has more on some of these controversial additions.
4: House Bill 33, otherwise known as the Ohio State Budget, is a more than 9,000-page document featuring dozens of elements from other bills. Among these additions is most of Senate Bill 83, which would ban universities from Mandatory Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, or DEI for short, training. Critics of mandatory training point to research suggesting it just doesn't work.
5: You even have some older advocates uh, of... Some of the implicit bias training, for example, that have uh, come around and said, look, if you make it mandatory, that can actually be counterproductive because it can engender a backlash.
4: That was Greg Lawson, who is a research fellow at the Buckeye Institute. In testimony in support of the bill, he said DEI training and DEI offices in general aren't a good return on investment. In other words, he argues the money universities budget for these offices compared to what they accomplish could be spent on other things. Critics of the legislation, like Miami University student Olivia Gallo, says removing DEI offices would have a negative impact on everybody.
1: Cutting DEI and cutting the conversations and cutting all that stuff doesn't give the other side a leg up. Um, It just forces everyone down.
4: The bill also strives to protect what lawmakers call intellectual diversity, which is defined in the bill as multiple divergent and varied perspectives on an extensive range of public policy issues by requiring universities create policies to discipline people who interfere with the intellectual diversity rights of another. Ohio's inter-university council, which represents 14 public universities in the state, opposes the language, arguing it is too vague. In a letter opposing SB 83, the council's president, Laura Lanise, wrote that how the bill defines intellectual diversity would leave faculty guessing about whether or not they are violating somebody's rights under the law and therefore it would impact their teachings in the classroom. But Bill supporters like Greg Lawson say protections are needed because research shows conservative students are afraid to share their views on campus.
5: It's about the self-censorship that a lot of students are engaging in right now. Uh, because they're afraid that if they discuss any of their own personal views, that there will be a very negative effect on what their grades are.
4: Also included in the budget bill is a provision preventing university faculty from going on strike. Opponents, like the American Association of University Professors as Stephen Mockaby, says it strips employees of a fundamental right. The best protection that a faculty member can have is a collective bargaining agreement that guarantees due process and fair treatment. Even still, those who favor the bill say that school faculty going on strike is a disservice to the students who pay thousands of dollars to attend.
5: If you have a faculty that, or a, a, a strike that happens in particular in the middle of the school year, You have a lot of students that have already put money into the tuition, of course.
4: Other provisions inside the budget bill include doing away with requirements that sophomores live in campus housing. Lawmakers have until June 30th to approve a budget. For The Outlet, I'm Connor Woodruff in Athens.
0: Joining us now is Haley Hollinger, who covers the city of Nelsonville to update us on the latest developments around city government. With the recent Nelsonville City Council meetings, the council is trying to make changes to their policies, Is that correct, Haley?
6: Yes, the council had committee meetings on Tuesday, and they discussed making several policy changes. During their Judiciary Committee meeting, the committee talked about making a set procedure for appointing new city managers and council members. The committee also wants to begin to amend the city charter. The latest version of the charter is from 1994, and there are several vague articles and new information that needs added.
0: And at the committee meeting, were there any updates about the new Nelsonville City Manager?
6: Yeah, they're entering the selection process and there are about 22 applicants. The council is going to choose their top five, each of them individually, before having a top five as a council. There isn't currently a set date the public will know what the council's top five is, but I do imagine it will be within the next week or so. There's one name that sticks out in the midst of the applications and that's Tracy Galloway. Galway was city manager back in the beginning of February before Bernie Rolls' contract was signed on March 30th.
0: Yeah, that would be beneficial for the city to get that done as soon as possible. But speaking of new, the city appointed a new council member on Tuesday. And who was that by chance, Haley?
6: Corey Taylor. He's the newly appointed member, and this will actually be his third time on council. Last week, when the council took a vote, they tied three and three on their decision to appoint Taylor and Stuart Brooks, two candidates that were up for vote, which left the decision up to council president Tony Dunphy, who appointed Taylor late Monday night in an email. When I talked to Dunphy, he said that part of the reason he made this choice is because Taylor was voted in by the people in 2021 and resigned this past January. So he was kind of the people's choice.
0: You can find more about Haley's stories involved with Nelsonville on WOUB's website at woub.org. ABC players will be performing a live reading of the play, The Lion in Winter, this Sunday, June 25th at 2 p.m. Outlet reporter Arielle Lyons sat down with five cast members and the two directors to talk about what makes this play so relevant to today and the important distinction of the cast of this reading.
1: On Sunday, ABC Players will be doing a live reading of The Lion in Winter at Stewart's Opera House. The reading is directed by Karen M. Chan, and performed by a group she calls the Senior Moments Ensemble, because the members are all ages 55 and older.
2: I have been directing uh, the Senior Moments Ensemble, <laughs> as I like to call them, uh, for the last four years. Four, five, six, Something six, like or seven, because there's been th- three years. Yeah, yeah, the, because of the hiatus. <clears throat> it was purposely created by me mm-hmm. for the purpose of giving voice to those 55 and over.
1: <laughs> the Lion in Winter is about King Henry II of England and the struggle between his family members for his throne. Most of these characters are not over the age of 55 like these performers are, but that isn't going to stop them. I believe
2: in the audience. Mm-hmm. I believe that uh, they will suspend their belief and yeah. get involved with uh, and, and believe anything that we put on stage. It doesn't-
1: Assistant Director Allison Epperson said stories about powerful, dysfunctional families are as relevant as ever. This play certainly showcases that.
3: Sibling rivalry, adultery, throwing your children in the dungeon when they behave in a way that you don't agree with. I, imprisoning your wife. Family drama and dysfunctional family, it's always intriguing when it's somebody else's drama and not yours. Yeah. yeah. So this is, this is great.
1: <laughs> the play takes place in 1183, but the idea of the British royal family's drama is still a major topic in 2023.
2: I don't know about the rest of you, but <laughs> dysfunctional families, uh, the the lure of, of, of power, and now it's relevant because of uh, Prince Harry's The Spare. Mm, yeah. uh, you can understand the civil rivalry about wanting to... Um, be, uh, be, king.
1: Amy Abercrombie, who plays Alice of France, also thinks this relates to the struggles of the current royal family. I think a
2: lot of people are questioning the validity of um, the reign of a king and who succeeds doesn't matter if it's a good person or thoughtful of the good, good for the public, the common good. <laughs> it's not. A, it doesn't matter really. And, I think a lot of us, even in Britain, they're just really wondering, well, should this keep going on?
1: Yeah. The ABC players are excited to read the play Sunday. The show begins at 2 p.m. and the tickets are available at showpass.com. For The Outlet, I'm Aria Lyons in Athens.
0: That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced each week by me, Kayla McCleskey. We're edited by Atisha Bidia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Adam Richards, our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Enjoy our show? Tell a friend to give us a listen. They can subscribe to the outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, or find us online at woub.org. They can also follow us on Twitter at outlet underscore woub and Instagram at newswatch underscore woub. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio.